everybody. How's it going? I'm glad you're all here today. Um, how did yesterday go? I want you to know I was reading through your comments in uh, the thread, and you guys are coming up with some great ideas for um, you know genre reinforcement, emails, and just in general things to email your list. So I'm really really excited for you, and I'm it kind of made me want to go back and write emails. Like it got me all excited about it, and I don't really need to write them. I've got mine done, but. Um, yeah, that was super, super fun. So I hope that you guys are having a good time with this and that it is connecting with you. Um, do me a favor and somebody tell me if you can hear me okay. Let's just make sure the tech side is working well. <clears throat> I it worked really well yesterday and I pretty much set it up the same way, just so no reason it shouldn't, but just let me know that you can hear me okay. And then we will get started. Give everyone kind of a minute or two to kind of trickle in. Jessica, thank you. Um, another Facebook user says I can hear you. Good, good, I'm glad, okay. Um, once again, let me mention that I am dealing with two screens here. I don't know if that's distracting for you guys or not, but I like feel distracted for you. <laughs> but I've got my PowerPoint right in front of me and then all of your comments over here. So if I'm looking to the side, that's why. Um, let's mention StreamYard really, really fast. I said this yesterday, but if you go into the post that I'm, you know, this post that I'm currently going live on, there's a link you can click to give stream, uh, well, it's Facebook getting permission to show your name to me because if you don't give StreamYard permission to show your name, it just says Facebook user. And I can see your, your beautiful picture, but I can't see your name. So um, thank you to those who have done that. And yeah, we are gonna get started here. Um, let's see. So yesterday I let's let's go ahead and jump in and award the gift card. Um, I told you that anybody who commented on the post and did the homework talking about the emails um, coming up with ideas for genre reinforcement emails, I would randomly pick a winner for a gift card. And our winner today is HC Bentley. So congratulations to HC Bentley. Um, do me a favor and either uh, message me on Facebook. You can message Lisa L. K. Hill or just the prolific author, or you can email me at L. K. Hill Books and we will get that gift card to you. Okay. So thank you so much for participating and congratulations. Um, let's see, more people coming in. StreamYard hates you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes tech hates everybody. It hates me too sometimes. Um, all right. So a couple of other just real fast. Uh, housekeeping issues, I guess. There will be another PDF available at the end of this training um, for the nine essential points that I'm going to show you. So um, I want to let you know that not only so that you stay till the end so that you can get that, but also I'm probably going to go through them somewhat quickly. It depends on how you know long it takes. I try to keep these at about an hour so you guys can get about your day. Um, so just know that you don't have to take really, really extensive notes because I'm going to give you a PDF of those. Okay. And what else do we need to go over? I, I think that's most of our, um, yeah, most of the things that I, oh, I know what the other thing I was going to say was. So I have a post in this group about a mini course for email marketing, and I've had a lot of questions on it. And I have to apologize on behalf of Facebook, but also on behalf of myself. When I posted that, I really just wanted to post to a link so anybody could go buy the course who wanted to. But Facebook automatically, when it realizes that it's a product that's being sold, converts it into a product post. And I did not realize that it had done that. So I was getting people asking me why it said $0 on the Facebook side, but that when, when they went to it, it's $37. Okay, it is a $37 course. And the funny thing is, I can't even see on my side where it says $0. Like I checked my phone, my tablet, my desktop. I can't see that anywhere, but I knew that it said it somewhere because people were asking me about it. So I did figure out how to go in and fix that on the Facebook side, um, but it is a $37 course. So I apologize for the disconnect there. Um, the other thing is, 
people are asking about it. It is a very in-depth course in what we talked about yesterday for the emails. It has all of the templates, all seven emails, all of that. But I'm going to maybe recommend that you wait, even if you are interested in, in purchasing that for $37, because um, tomorrow I'm going to talk to you about my academy that's opening up. And if you decide to join the academy, that course will be included. So I just don't want you to have to buy it twice if you decide that you're going to go into the academy. So I would just caution you, recommend, wait just like 24 hours till tomorrow, and then you can decide what would be best for you. Okay. So again, apologize for um, a little bit of glitchiness there, but it should all be fixed now. All right. Um, looks like everyone's doing good. Hello, EM. Hello, Shanna. Good to see you guys here. Okay. Well, with that said, let's go ahead and get started on the training today. Okay. Why do you think this, this particular workshop is about um, how to bake marketing directly into the writing of your story so that you already have a foundation of marketing um, established when you finish your book? Why do you think that that is important? Oh, you know what? Let me make this a little bit bigger so you guys can see it better. Hold on. There we go. Okay. So why should you market directly inside your story? First of all, if you can clearly define all the parts of your story, characters, world building, plot, arcs, etc., you will already have clearly articulated angles that you can use to market when your book is finished. Okay, so you're killing two birds with one stone by establishing the writing and the marketing at the same time. So, for example, we talked all about email yesterday and about things to email your um, list about, ways to connect with them, and of course, ways to get them excited about your book. A lot of this will come from the writing itself. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, I can do that. I, I know my characters. Obviously, I know my main character really well. I know my world well. And that's probably true, but you may not know them as well as you think, okay? Most people are not um, really getting to know their characters and their worlds and their arcs as well as they think they do in, in a way that they can just pull out those really small but but very salient details to use for marketing most people who go through my course they're amazed at what they weren't doing before and you know it's not really their fault they just had never been taught to do it okay so that's something to keep in mind um, the other thing is that the bulk of your marketing is going to happen from inside your story so if you don't get this right all the money in the world thrown at paid ads is not going to make you successful okay the writing has to be your bedrock now, we hear all the time, people say this all the time in the space, that the best way to market your book is to write a great book and then write another great book, right? Well, I'm 100% behind that. I think that's absolutely true. But you have to put in the great part. And I think I mentioned this yesterday. You have to write an awesome book, not just an okay book, right? Um, it, unfortunately, is possible for people to make really good sales on a crappy book that no one has read yet. <clears throat> excuse me. So let's say somebody's just a marketing genius, right? They have the wonderful cover. They have um, the good blurb. They, they know how to do the ads. Well, if nobody has read this book, they can actually get a lot of sales from people who don't know what's inside. Okay. So in that sense, if you have crappy writing, but everything else is in place, you could see, you get like a, you know, a, a book bub feature deal or, or whatever the case may be and get a whole bunch of sales. And then you're like, wow, this is working. And, and, and I didn't even have to try that hard. But what happens after that? If the writing is crappy, <laughs> not only are those people never going to buy from you again, they're going to give you bad reviews and it's just going to go downhill from there. Okay. So my point is, this is why this has to be your foundation. Paid ads are not going to work for you. Even, even the email stuff that we, we mentioned, maybe you're awesome at writing emails and getting people excited, but if the story isn't there, 
you're still not going to see repeat customers and return sales. Okay. So that's something that's really important to keep in mind. You have to start here with the story if you're going to succeed as an author. Now, when I started writing my books this way, the way I'm going to show you today, everything changed for me in a hurry. Okay. I, I started testing it, presenting chapters to my critique group and to different readers, beta readers, that sort of thing. And I could not believe the difference that it made. I promise you, the most successful stories in the world, the mainstream ones that we all know about and love, you can always find these elements in those stories, okay? They do this. So that should tell you something. The most successful stories all do this. They put their marketing and the way that they connect with readers directly into the story. Okay, so let me ask you this. <laughs> do you ever wonder, worry that your story isn't good enough? And I laugh because, you know, we've all been there. I'm, I'm sure you have. Um, but tell me, tell me about this in the comments. Is this something that you have ever worried about that it won't resonate with readers? You know, it's the kind of thing where maybe it makes total sense in your head and it's totally awesome in your head and you know why you love it and you know how you feel about it, but you're worried that it may not be coming across to readers in a way that they can connect with. Or, you know, it, it's perfect in your head, but it's not coming across on the page quite the way that you're envisioning it in your head. Is that something that you guys have dealt with when you're doing your writing? Yep, Shanna says, yep. Another Facebook user says, yep. Okay, so a few of you have dealt with this. The other thing that you might deal with a lot is um, maybe you're you're dealing with some blockage when it comes to, to writing your story. Like, you know what it's about, it's not about not knowing what to write, but maybe you know where you're going, you have a pretty good idea, but you don't know how to get from A to B, how to fill in scenes, or um, maybe you have most of it, but you can't decide on an ending, that sort of thing. Have, have any of you ever kind of experienced that when you're writing? All right, Erica says, her stories are good, but can't seem to connect to readers. Okay, that's pretty common. It is a little bit like writing to market. What I'm gonna talk to you about today here is, it is writing to market, but it's not. It's, it's almost like one aspect of writing to market. A lot of writing to market has to deal with um, genre and tropes, and that's not exactly what we're doing today. We're actually talking about story psychology and how to make sure that your story, the way you position it, will automatically connect with readers. So it does go hand in hand with writing to market, but it's not exactly the same thing. That's a great question, though. Um, so... Many books later, the first one always sounds like crap. Uh, that, that's a good point, Shanna. And, and the reason that happens is because you're actually growing as an author. You absolutely can go back and rewrite it if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, authors handle that all kinds of ways. Some people do go back and rewrite them. Some um, just take them off sale because they don't really want to go back and rewrite them, but they don't really want them on sale because they recognize that there's a lot of problems with them. And some just leave them and say, hey, it's my first book. If you want to read it, here it is. And if not, you know, read a more recent one that's better. So that is, that's really entirely up to you. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of you have dealt with this or some form of this um, in your life. Well, what if I told you this? There are ways to ensure, yes, ensure, that your story will connect deeply and emotionally with the reader. They will, it will guarantee that the reader will just slide right through the story without a problem and have an emotional reaction to what happens in your story. Okay, that they'll keep turning pages until the end that, you know, you actually can guarantee this. I know that sounds like a, a, quite a claim to make, but I promise that it's true. 
And the thing is, it's not about specifically what happens in your story. It's not about the genre. It's not about, you know, the actual events of the story. That it, That's all you. That's going to depend on your genre and your characters, the events of your plot, your writing style, and, and the, the unique story that you came up with, okay? What it's really about is how to position the story that you have already come up with, your unique story, so that it's easy for the reader to absorb it and it automatically resonates with them on really almost a subconscious level, okay? There is ways to do this. This is story psychology. This, this is how human beings absorb and connect with story, okay? You have to understand this next point, and this is key. All human beings absorb story in exactly the same way. Even when those stories aren't laid out in the way that I'm going to show you today, which is the way that helps human beings connect with them, the human brain still searches for patterns. It's wired to do that. It will always look for patterns, okay? And it will still pick out the pieces of story that it recognizes. So, so let me ask you this. Have you ever watched a movie, a film, a TV show, you know, whatever, and the film itself was pretty boring, didn't really hold your attention, so not the kind of thing that you would recommend to other people, but there were certain parts of it that resonated with you, okay? So maybe this one character you really liked and you kind of kept watching for that character, or the whole thing was boring and hard to get through, but the end was really, really stellar, so something like that. There are just parts of it that you liked, um, but overall not that great, right? Has anybody ever had that uh, experience? I, I, I do that all the time when I just pick things out on Netflix to watch. Sometimes they're great. Other times it's like, yeah, yeah, this is boring, right? Um, so what, what happens, the reason that happens is because your brain is recognizing different parts of the story. It might recognize a character change over here, um, an escalation or complication over here that's interesting, but you know, as a whole, it's not very cohesive. Um, well, if those are the only portions that kept your attention and they're not in the right order and the rest is just dull, you aren't going to like that film or recommend it to anyone, right? But what you need to notice is how the brain still picked out those pieces of story because it recognized them and connected with them, right? So again, you don't want to do that in your book, have a crappy book that's not cohesive and nobody likes, but um, I'm, the point I'm making is just that the brain does this. And that just shows that it will search for those pieces that it understands and try to connect with them. And, and this isn't something that's done consciously, it's totally subconscious, right? So if all readers process story in exactly the same way, is it a, isn't it only logical then to build your stories using a framework that the reader already uses and meet them where they're at when it comes to story consumption, okay? Really what I'm talking about, that was a lot of big words, is just making it easy for them to read your book, making it easy for them to connect with your story, with your characters, okay? Now, I get that this is really sound, sounding very abstract at this point, um, and in some ways it is. Like I said, it's kind of subconscious. You know, most readers are not going to get into a review and talk about this sort of thing. It's not something they can articulate, but... What you're, what you're basically doing here is opening up your reader, your reader's subconscious mind and communicating them with them in a non-linear and non-tangible way. But as hard as that sounds, as abstract as that sounds, I promise how you do this is super easy. It's super straightforward. It's a very specific formula and it's, it's, it will make your life as an author much, much easier. Okay. But I deeply believe truly that if you learn to do this, you will have no trouble hooking your reader instantly, cultivating more loyal readers and selling more books, which is what we're all here to do, right? Okay, so before I get into the how of that, let me share a quick story. Um, when I was just 
starting out as an author, I found myself floundering just the same way you guys are, the same way people were saying that they, you know, they're not sure if it's coming across right. They're not sure if they're connecting. They love their story, but is it very good? You know, all of that. I, I was there. I felt all of that. Um, I was trying to figure out how to get my books written, what kind of promotion and marketing worked, and wishing that I already had a huge backlist like many other authors that we hear about, like Stephen King and um, James Patterson and all of them, right? I mean, it just sounded so far away. You know, when you're struggling to write your first book, it's like, man, how am I ever going to write 20 books or 50 books or 80 books, right? Like the big authors have. Um, it was taking me at the time, six months to a year, sometimes longer to write a single book, you know, because I didn't have my processes in place and I wasn't being very logical or repeatable about it. And I just remember thinking at this rate, it's going to take me 20 years to write 20 books. And, and how am I going to do that? You know, it just, it just seems like an insurmountable object. Then one day um, I was going to school at Weber State University here in Utah and our local writing organization, which is called the League of Utah Writers, put on a spring workshop and it was actually held on campus. So I saw flyers for it and I went, hey, you know, I'm a writer. I need to go to that. Um, Well-known author Dan Wells, who wrote Partials, yeah, I have his uh, book cover here. Um, he was the one who taught the workshop and he basically presented his own proprietary blend of story beats that he used in his writing. Well, I was absolutely floored by this workshop, okay? Until then, I never knew that there was a way to make certain that your story resonated with readers. That had never even entered my consciousness, okay? I was totally unfamiliar with that. But it really got me fired up about writing and about story. And so I went home and, you know, ignored my classes and started researching StoryCraft. Everything I could find about it, every book I could find, um, all of that. And, and for years, I started testing to see what worked and what didn't. Now, even though it took me years to develop my own system, like I said in the beginning, I could tell as soon as I started using that how it changed. Okay, I've been with the same critique group since I was in college, and it felt like overnight I was getting way better feedback. People were liking it. People were connecting with it. I could tell that it worked right away because I went from this kind of mediocre, yeah, it was okay, you could do better here, to wow, I love the story. These characters are great. When, when is your next chapter coming? You know what I mean? It just, it is a night and day difference, I promise. Um, so let's talk about how to do this. Inside of my academy, um, I teach, and it's inside the course, really. I teach how to do this at a lot of different levels. There are many different um, aspects of this that you need to address, okay? And obviously, we don't have hours. So, I mean, it's like a four-hour module. You know, I can't do all of that here. So we are going to just talk about one aspect of it that I use. And I, I literally use this, guys, to plan every single book and even my scenes, okay? So this is my proprietary blend of... Um, beats that has to do with the external plot. And that's what we're going to go over today. So um, <laughs> tell me this, who has heard of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey? Just tell me, give me a thumbs up in the chat if, if this is something you're familiar with, or tell me how much you know about it. Are you really well versed in it? Or you just once heard of it a long time ago? Or um, give me an idea of what you're at when it comes to Joseph Campbell. And don't worry, we're, we're actually not going to do the hero's journey here. That's not what we're doing. But I'm just wondering because he is kind of the most famous, most well-known um, when it comes to this. Okay, yes, yes, I've heard of him. Good, good, good. So a few of you. All right. Um, what I will say is that Joseph Campbell was a very smart man. And um, yes, I've read about it. Okay. He 
was the one who first, I mean, he by no means came up with the Storycraft idea, but he was the first one to really distill it down and present it to the modern world as a system. Um, that said, I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for him, but he lived kind of in a previous era and his writing can be a little dry at times, okay? So it, it's a little bit much to kind of slog through. Um, Anyway, as I said, we're not going to actually do the hero's journey here. He has more points than I have. I think he has 12 or 13. I only have nine, at least for this part of the system. And the other thing is that his, my points are very chronological and linear, and that makes it a lot easier. His are a little bit more nebulous. Okay. So that can be a little bit confusing, but this is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I'm going to show you the different beats in a story that you're familiar with. So I'm going to use Star Wars, A New Hope, which is episode four, because I figure most of us are pretty familiar with that, okay? So this is the part I'm gonna go through kind of quickly. I don't wanna dwell on it too much, um, but like I said, I will give you a template for this at the end, so don't worry about, you don't have to take notes, you'll, you'll get a template that explains this, okay? So the world before, I'm gonna move this a little bit, there we go, um, which just means the world before your story, before the conflict is introduced. So this is kind of your baseline where your character's at right at the beginning. In Star Wars, it's just that Luke lives a peaceful life, of the peaceful life of a farmer with his aunt and uncle. The second one is your intro of conflict. The character's world changes in some way. You can intro the villain here if you want, but a lot of times it's just new information, new people coming into their world. Um, it's important to note that the intro of conflict does not spur them to action. This is just new information, okay? Or their world does change a little bit, but again, it's not going to make them um, act in a big way. They're, they're still just doing what they were doing in the world before. Okay, so for Star Wars, there's actually several of these, and there can be more than one. These are just your basic plot points, but you can definitely fill them out for what you need in your story. Buying the droids, that was something that was new to him. Seeing Princess Leia's message, and of course, meeting Obi-Wan. But when I say he doesn't spur him to action, yes, his world is changing because he's meeting new people, but he doesn't leave the planet from that, right? It's not really catapulting him into his journey. The call to adventure is when we actually get the action that catapults him into his journey. Something happens that spurs them to action. The action takes them out of their familiar surroundings or situations and changes their world in a big way. So for Luke, it was the death of his guardians, his aunt and uncle, and that's when he decides to leave the planet with Obi-Wan. Then you're gonna have an escalation. This is still in the first part of the story, okay? Things just have to get worse. They become more tense, put pressure on your character. This is a great place for heart-pounding action. Um, things happen that are beyond the character's control. Now, at this point, it's important to know that they are reacting, not acting proactively, okay? Mostly it's out of desperation. So if someone's chasing them, they're running. If someone's trying to hurt them, they're just defending themselves, okay? There's nothing really proactive about it. They're just reacting to what's happening. Um, so the escalation is meeting Han and, do and he's doggedly pursued by the Empire. So an escalation can actually be meeting someone, somebody new, um, but it really needs to be kind of a negative high pressure situation too. So it's really being pursued by the Empire here. The turning point. The turning point is, it's really a shift in the character's action, but it very often comes almost dead center of the story. It doesn't have to. It can come pretty much anywhere. But the turning point is when the character goes from reaction to action, okay? So until now, things have acted upon them, like I just um, described, they're reacting to those things, but now they actually become proactive, which probably means they make a plan, they take something into their own hands. Usually it's following some sort of new information that they get, okay? So for Luke, this is when he learns that Leia is on the ship and decides to not do what Obi-Wan said and stay there, but actually go rescue her, okay? He's being proactive in a way um, that he hasn't been up to this point. 
Escalation number two, things get much worse, okay? This is kind of the second half of the story often, and the escalation here needs to be a lot worse than it was in the, in the beginning half of the story. Very often, this is where somebody dies and you get some tragedy, okay? A friend or mentor dies, the bad guys win a great victory, some key part of the plan is lost, some vital piece of information they didn't have before bites them in the behind, um, anything that puts their success in doubt or causes despair. And of course here, Obi-Wan dies. Now, notice that there are other things that could definitely count as escalations. You have the whole trash compactor situation. You have them, you know, being chased by the stormtroopers. All of those can also count as escalations. But like I said, this is just the bare bones and you can do a lot of them. You can fill in the blanks in between. This is kind of the bare minimum you need to have in order to pull the reader through the story. All right, so then you come to your climactic moment. And that's going to be a confrontation between your main character and their main conflict or villain. Okay. If this is a series, this is just kind of a side note. Um, the overarching villain may not appear until the end, but there's still a major conflict for the character in this installment. So here we don't really, I mean, okay, we do get Vader chasing Luke around in the ship, but it's not really him facing off with Vader, right? Here it's him versus the Death Star. And that's just for this first video. And he's not going to really face off with Vader in a big way until the end of the trilogy, which is um, episode six. Within that climax, you're going to have a moment of uber despair. This is something you might have heard called by another name before. Some people call it um, Dark Knight of the Soul or just something to do with darkness. They're, it's your character's lowest point, and they must have a moment when they believe in their soul that they are going to fail. They are not going to win out here. Okay, so for Luke, it was him doubting his own ability. They have a they have a moment in the film where another ship beside him blows up, and he kind of realizes that he's the last one, that it's all on him, and you can tell he's not at all confident that he's going to be able to do this. They also have a second one, this, in uh, this video, um, movie, sorry, where Vader almost kills Luke. And that's, I don't want to get too granular with this. Really, the reason that there's two is because they've um, divided the internal and the external here. And I'm not going to go too much into what that is, but I do teach that in my academy. Um, really, the Luke doesn't have this moment of despair where Vader almost kills him because he's totally oblivious. He has no idea that that's happening, but the audience does. So it does still kind of count as a, a moment of despair for the audience when we think, oh no, Luke's going to get blown up. Vader's going to win. This is not going to go well. Then there's the aha moment, which is when the solution to your character's dilemma is realized. Most often it comes from something they already possess, already have within themselves, or have previously set up, but didn't realize, even though they previously set it up, they didn't set it up knowing they would need to use it in this moment, but they set it up and then it becomes of use to them in this moment. Okay, so because we had two uber despairs, and here it's the use the force Luke, he realizes it is within him, he turns off his targeting computer, he actually can do this and, and rely on himself and his belief in the force. And where Vader is concerned, Han shows up and saves the day. Okay, so that's the aha moment. It's all gonna be okay, we're gonna work this out. And the resolution is just basically what happens at the end. Um, you're going to resolve the major conflicts in this installment, if not for the overall series. Um, if, of course, if there's going to be further installments, then during the resolution phase, you want to do something to propel the reader into the next book. So for here, he blows up the Death Star and he gets a medal, right? All good stuff. All good fun. Um, okay, so I did go through those pretty quickly. What questions do you have about those, if any? Okay, we've got some thumbs up. Superstars, I haven't actually heard of that one. Interesting. Okay. So a few questions here, not too many. Like I said, it's pretty straightforward. And I know I went through that quickly, but 
I spent the first few minutes talking about how I'm going to show you help how to help your readers automatically and deeply connect with your story. So the next question is, how does this framework accomplish that, right? Well, the human mind, it, it, this may seem overly simplistic to you. To some people, it does. There's a lot of people that kind of hate on the hero's journey and story beats of any kind. And I understand, and I'm going to address that. But if it seems overly simplistic to you, that's because this is the way that you always have and always will absorb stories, okay? The human brain is wired for this kind of thing. I think I have that here, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the reason is because this format of story mirrors what happens in real life, okay? We're bopping along, everything's good, maybe a little mundane, but pretty even keeled. Then something happens, right? We have a problem. We take action to try and solve that problem. And does it work? <laughs> no. <laughs> it always gets worse first, right? There's always things that escalate and and happen, and you're just going, oh, man, how did this happen to me? I've got to figure this out, right? And so we're really wired in our DNA to, to identify with this kind of story. You know, you've got the world before, which is pretty even killed. Then there's an intro of conflict. Then there's a massive escalation that, you know, changes everything. And suddenly you're not who you were before and you, you can't go back to who you were before. Okay. Because everything's different and it escalates. And then at some point you have to stop reacting and start to take control of your life and, decide what you're going to do moving forward. Okay. That's the turning point. And then usually the, when you first, you, you know, you think, okay, I'm taking control of my life. It's going to be better. And what happens? Like there's some other big blow up that you trip on and it gets so much worse. Right. And then you come to a point eventually where you can overcome whatever that was. Okay. So that's the basic structure here, at least for the external plot points that you follow. And this adhering to this structure, making sure that you have you know, at least one of each plot point in your story, that is how you make sure that your stories are page turners, okay? And that every single thing you write has the potential to become a bestseller. Again, that may sound simplistic, but I'm telling you, if you adhere to, and you don't even have to use this framework. There are a lot of different ones. This is my proprietary blend that I find works very, very well for me in my books. But if you want to use the hero's journey or you want to use say, Save the Cat, the reason these kinds of frameworks exist, the reason people teach them is because the reader will automatically connect with that on a subconscious level, okay? They will automatically be rooting for your character. They will automatically keep turning pages until they get to the end. And then when they give you a review, they're gonna say, this was a great book. I love this, it was page turning, I kept going. You know, most of them are not gonna say, oh, she was missing an escalation in the first third. No, they, <laughs> they can't articulate that. They just know they loved it. They just know it spoke to them, okay? So this is the kind of thing that you need to follow. Now. This is not the end all be all of plotting out your novel. I promise you that. Like I said, I teach this on several different levels in the academy. For example, there are there's also an internal. This is I said this was the external. This is the actually what's going on in the plot events. You know, that's that's what we're kind of talking about here. But there's actually an internal one too, which is a completely different set of plot points. But if you can hit all or even most of those plot points and weave them together, you get this really beautiful, cohesive story that readers just can't get enough of, you know, because they're, they're seeing the way it starts and they're seeing the middle of it and they're seeing the end of it and it all just braids together and they just go, wow, this person can tell a story. Wow. This author is amazing. Okay. And that's what you're going for here. You are just setting yourself up for success. And once again, this is not about me telling you what to write in your story. You can, you know, 
write any story you want. Go with your muse. You have to come up with your beautiful, unique, wonderful story and your characters. But if you position it this way, take your story and you might even need to change up the, um, the chronology of it a little bit to make sure you're hitting this right. It will be easier for the reader to connect with that. It will be easier for them to read it and you will get better feedback and better reviews because of it. Okay. Um, let's see. What questions do we have here? How does the hero's journey work for crimes and mysteries? Okay. That's a great question. This works for any, um, genre at all. And I, I went with, you know, Star Wars cause it's, it's well known, but you don't have to use fantastical or fantasy events to figure this out. Okay. I actually write crime and mystery too, Shanna. And you know, the, so let's just go through it really fast. If you had, let's say you're, you're dealing with a murder mystery. Okay. Just to make it pretty simple. The world before would be either the characters just living their lives. Or if you're, you know, I, I do detectives. Um, so the detective going about his business, the inciting incident is probably going to be the person who is murdered. The body is found. Okay. And then the escalation is going to be different things that happen in the case that make it worse. Things they find out, things they thought were one thing, but the red herrings, it's really something else. Um, the turning point is when they kind of stop just letting the information hit them and go, okay, we've got to figure this out. We've got to find this bad guy, killer, who, you know, whoever it is. So you can keep going through and um, just use your genre conventions to figure that out. Okay. And you probably already know a lot of what's going to happen in your story. So the easiest thing to do is to lay out what you have and figure out which plot point that corresponds with. And then you can fill in the details that you're missing. And this really helps with that. I talked about block at the beginning. Are you getting blocked because you can't get from A to B or, you know, when you get some feedback and someone says, oh, the middle is sagging a little bit, it's because you're missing plot points. Like that's why. And so you can figure out how to fill these out, how to flesh out your story. And it's, it's the best thing in the world. It's so fun. Like you'll, you'll start getting all kinds of ideas for your story, but you're also, I promise, writing a better story because of that. Um, okay. Superstars is a conference. I've not heard of that. Thanks, Linda. I will have to look into that. So here's the thing. This is one of my very favorite quotes of all time. It comes from Christopher Vogler, who wrote The Writer's Journey. And it says, a story is a metaphor for a journey that leads to change. That's a super cool way to think about it. Think, um, the story itself is the metaphor. Okay. So really the point of the story is, is whatever the theme is. Okay. And it can be really broad or really specific, good versus evil, um, you know, justice versus injustice, uh, romance, you know, loneliness versus companionship. The story is just a metaphor for what you're trying to teach your audience. So I, I just, I love that. I could sit and think about that for a long time. A story is a metaphor for a journey that leads to change. And this is another reason why this kind of structure so well connects with readers. Okay. Because it's a metaphor that they understand on a deep level and they might not be able to articulate that on a conscious level, but this is in our DNA. Okay. We are wired for this kind of story, which is why, you know, Joseph Campbell and, and whoever else has ever figured it out was able to figure this out. Even prehistoric stories like Beowulf and Grendel followed this kind of structure because people have been telling stories like this forever. You know, even since stories were just oral, they have been telling stories like that. So I kind of said this already, but you've got to understand that if you write a story that's missing any of the beginning elements, you're not going to hook your reader. You're going to have a really hard time doing that. They're going to put the book down before they have a chance to get into it and you've lost them. Okay. 
when that happens, they almost never put the, pick up the book again. Okay. You, we all know that it's the first scene is really important. You have to hook the reader in the beginning. And if you're missing any of these points, you're not going to do that. Now, that's not to say that maybe you aren't hitting them already. Okay. So I want you to understand that even if you've never used a system like this before, just the fact that you're here, you know, we're all writers. We all feel called to write. And that means we have inherently a pretty good sense of story. So you're probably hitting most of these beats and you don't even know it. You're just naturally doing it. Okay. When I first started learning this, I found that I was, and that's what most people tell me. Yeah, I was hitting most of them, but maybe there was just one or two. I, I, I didn't realize that I wasn't hitting. Okay. So don't panic. If you've never done this before, you're probably doing it anyway. Okay. This is not something super new, but if you're not doing it purposefully, intentionally, then you're probably leaving some pretty powerful storytelling tools on the table. And you don't want to do that. You want to use them all and really sucker punch your reader in the feels, right? Um, similarly, if you're missing elements around the center, that's when you get what is described as a sagging middle. Um, it's boring and you lose the reader's attention. And once again, they put the book down, they're probably not gonna pick it up again, okay? And if you're missing any of the ending elements, you end up writing a supremely unsatisfying ending. Um, perhaps the reader finished your story, but they're likely to throw it against the wall and give you a terrible review because the ending sucks so much, right? Um, meanwhile, you're scratching your head and wondering what you did wrong, but you have to write a really satisfying conclusion or they're not going to read from you again. Okay. That's just the way it is. And writing your book this way, it, it almost automatically guarantees a satisfying conclusion because you're following the beats and the story just makes sense. It feeds into itself. It's very cohesive, all of that. Okay. <laughs> With that in mind, I'm going to kind of bash Nicolas Cage movies for a minute. Um, don't get me wrong. He's, he's done a few movies that I have really, really loved and really enjoyed. But for some reason, he has a penchant for choosing movies where it's actually a really fascinating premise and the characters are pretty good. And as you're watching the film, it's really interesting. And the end just sucks. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many Nicolas Cage movies I've watched. I have thought they were really interesting while I was watching them. And then you get to the end, like just the last half an hour. And I was just like... What was that? <laughs> you know? Don't do that to your reader. They will never, you know, Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage, but they're never going to pick up a book again by you if you do that. Okay. Um, so I thought I saw a couple of questions here. So, yeah, so what, uh, I'm sorry, I can't see your name, but I think a pantser needs to internalize the structure until it happens automatically. That's true. That's true. And I maintain that. Um, we're not going to get too much into pantsing and plotting here because that's a whole other uh, training to do. But I maintain that it actually is the same thing when it comes to the process that's going on in your brain. Obviously, what you're doing outwardly is different. But um, yeah, pantsers, I think they do outline. They absolutely do. But it's just something they keep in their head. So I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah, and, and, and Linda makes a good point. You, even as a pantser, you don't have to go super, super detailed with this. Okay. And in fact, that's kind of the point. This is a bare bones outline. If you just do one sentence to kind of have an idea where you're going, the idea is that you're going to be aiming for something. Okay. If you're just meandering around that, I mean, which I know the pantsers do and that that's them figuring out their story the first time. But if you have something that you're writing toward, it cuts off a lot of time and effort that it takes to figure out what the story is about, okay? And that's not to say you can't change it. You might put down a sentence for each of these points and then once you start writing, go, oh yeah, I change everything because you figure it out. But you're still gonna figure it out faster. You're still gonna be more efficient, okay? And whether you pants or plot, 
doesn't uh, matter so much for our purposes today. It's just as long as you get the structure in there, the marketing will be there. Okay. The marketing is baked right into the writing and you will have so much more success as an author if you do, if you make sure that you're hitting these points, however you get there. Okay. So you may be thinking, doesn't using plot points such as these make for formulaic fiction? Well, the answer to that really depends on what your definition of formulaic is, okay? If you're asking if it makes it formulaic in a bad way, I'm going to say no. <laughs> if you're asking if it makes it that way in a good way, then, well, you know, obviously my answer would be yes, and that sounds kind of convenient. So let me, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, I've heard people say not to use the hero's journey. I've also heard them say things like, well, it's a good jumping off point, but don't rely on that. And while I do think that people who say things like that, that it's, it's, they have the best intentions and it's coming from a place of love. To me, what it reflects is a lack of understanding about how human beings consume story. And I'm not saying that you have to adhere really, really strictly to any, any given system of beats, right? You got to do what works for you and for your story, but to minimize them that way and say, oh, well, you can start there, but don't take it too seriously that just shows me that you have no idea whoever the people who say that they don't really understand how humans absorb story and how important it is if you want to be successful in this business and and you know let me step step back for a minute and say if you are just writing for you you know if you just want to write whatever story you want to write yeah i mean hey more power to you feel free to ignore this but most of you are here because this is a workshop on marketing which means you want to make a business out of this okay and if you're going to make your fiction into a business, at some point, you have to think about serving your reader rather than just yourself. Okay, that's the only way they're going to buy your product. Okay, so you've got to understand that this makes it easier for them to fall in love with your stories and to fall in love with you as an author. Okay, so don't brush it under the rug. Um, and, and don't think of it like, I have to write a story that's just like everyone else's. You know, people who don't like these kinds of story beats, that's kind of what they're thinking, that it's formulaic, that everyone's story will be the same. And that's just not, nothing could be further from the truth. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I want you to do, but it's also just blatantly untrue. Rather, I want you to think of using these kinds of beats as focal points for the unique story that you've already written. Okay. So as I've said several times, this isn't about telling anyone what to write in your story. Okay. Come up with the best, most unique story that you can come up with, but position that story that you've already come up with um, so that the reader connects deeply with it. Okay. So it's really about delivering a better, more entertaining story for your reader, which means it has to be high quality. Okay. Um, but it's also about setting yourself up for su success when it comes to the reader side of things. Okay. Next question. Um, you may also be wondering, won't using a framework like this stifle my creativity? This is one of the biggest uh, objections that I hear is that they people don't want to be confined within a framework. And um, <laughs> okay, if you're multitasking, I want you to come back to me because I want you to hear the answer to this. If you want to be successful as an author, it is really imperative that you understand the answer to this question. So many people think that using these kinds of frameworks will stifle them, right? But that is a misconception. That is actually not true. In fact, the opposite is true. And I know that may be a little counterintuitive, but, but this has been proven scientifically, okay? Working within some kind of constraint actually enhances your creativity. 
And I want you to really think about that, okay? How can that be? How does that work? Well, think about it this way. If we could do anything we wanted in our stories, if our characters could ramble here and go there on side journeys and forget about their motivations over here, and you know, a sparkly unicorn fell out of the sky in the middle of everything, it's not gonna keep anyone's attention, okay? And sadly, I've actually read stories like that from like first time authors who, who really didn't know what they were doing yet, okay? Um, I, I remember one in particular that I read early on, it was from a good friend of mine and you know, bless her heart, it was just the first thing she'd ever written and it was really, really terrible, okay? It, I mean, literally it was that, it was a fantasy, but she had like a witch over here and then a magic egg over here and then a dragon over here and none of it was connected. It was, it was entirely non-cohesive, okay? It was terrible. Um, but the point is, you obviously you can't do that. And, and most of us are not that bad. Like I said, most of us naturally have some storytelling ability. So our stories are already more cohesive than that. But if that's true on, on such a, a broad and, and, you know, obviously that's a problem kind of level, shouldn't we be even more, um, you know, fanatically and purposely moving in the opposite direction, making sure that our stories are cohesive, making sure everything connects, right? And when you have to operate within a framework, it forces you to be more creative. It forces you to problem solve, to be resourceful, um, to come up with ways that it will work, okay? So the idea being, um, it's really easy to write whatever you want if there are no rules, but if you have to adhere to the rules of a particular framework, it forces you to write an awesome story within that framework and those rules. So your, your creativity is actually enhanced. And there already is a framework that we all work in and it's called genre, right? We have to, we don't have to, but if we want to be successful and reach the right readers, we have to adhere to genre conventions, genre tropes, and make sure that we can categorize our book that way. Okay, so people who say, won't this stifle my creativity? Well, does genre stifle your creativity? I mean, depending on how you look at it, maybe it does, but it also makes you more successful, okay? It actually makes you more creative, excuse me, and it is the only way that you are going to reach your readers and sell them books, okay? So this is a major misconception that people have, that using a framework stifles their creativity. It is actually the opposite that is true. It actually enhances your ability to tell a story, to stay on task, and to really connect deeply with your readers um, on an emotional level, okay? Now, let's be honest. Um, most people who write stories, as I said, already have a pretty good sense. So you don't necessarily have to worry about, you know, the extreme that I already talked about, but I just want you to think about doing it more intentionally. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Doing something with purpose and intent always makes it like a hundred zillion times stronger and more effective than if you do it subconsciously or accidentally, okay? So Joe Dispenza, some of you may know who he is, very wise man, said that clear intention plus elevated emotion equals the desired outcome. Now, we're talking about you writing your story, right? But I cannot think of anything more fitting when it comes to writing fiction, okay? You are trying to reach a reader in a particular way. You have to have a clear intention, meaning what the character's motivations are, where the story is going, where the story is going to end up, okay? You have to have that clear intention, that purpose in mind, and then you have to throw an emotion. You have to have the emotion, we all know this, when you write the story, okay? So the intention plus the emotion equals the desired outcome. 
And that's true in our own lives. That's true in our writing, but it's true inside our stories as well. And that's what I'm trying to get you to see. This is how you write. I mean, sure, anybody can write a story that meanders and doesn't adhere to anything and is all over the place. And heck, maybe it'll be a pretty decent story. But if you want to write a powerful story that grips that reader, that keeps them coming back to you, you need to know the clear intention of the story and you need to have that elevated emotion. Okay. It is the only way that you are going to get readers coming back to you again and again and again. Um, let's see. Okay. So do you have any questions about this? What, what questions or concerns do you have? Can I, can I explain how the marketing is baked into this formula? Okay. So two ways. One is that knowing these things in order to create this framework, you have to know your characters, you have to know their motivations, you have to know the world that they're in. That is going to help you with the marketing because when it comes to creating your emails for your list or posting on social media or doing your blurb, I mean, anything that you think of as outside marketing is going to come from you knowing your story this well. Okay, so that's one way it does. But the other way it does goes back to that, write a great book and then write a second great book. Okay, if your book if the reader is not connecting with your story on a subconscious level, if they are not absolutely loving it, they're not going to read another book from you. Okay. But if they do love it, if you write an amazing story, um, then they're going to come back and read anything and everything you've ever written. So that is going to be your most powerful marketing. And you know what? Let me, let me give you an example of this. I actually write four different genres, three, but kind of four, depending on how you um, divide them up. Right. And the prevailing wisdom is that, you're gonna have a different audience for every single one of those genres because people don't really read cross genre. And that that is true for the most part. I think it's becoming more and more common to get cross readership just because of the digital age and everything. But overall, if you're gonna launch several pen names and several genres, which is something that I've done, um, you do have to market them differently based on that genre and you're gonna have different audiences. But what I will tell you is that I actually have a lot of readers who will read everything that I write. And it's not because they necessarily like that genre. So I might have a crime fiction uh, person who doesn't really like fantasy all that much, but they will read my fantasy. And the reason is because they've read enough books by me that were genuinely stories that they connected with that they're willing to read anything I wrote because they know that I can write a decent story no matter what the genre is. And the thing is, that's not just me. I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I actually hear that from other authors too, who write several genres who know how to do this. They'll say, oh yeah, Oh yeah, I have cross-genre readers because I can write a decent story and they don't really care what the genre is as long as it's an awesome story. Now, you can't necessarily um, think that that's going to happen with every reader you have. It won't, but we're seeing that more and more if the author knows how to tell a good story. Okay, so it's just something to keep in mind. Um, <laughs> I'm good at meandering. This is why I'm struggling with my ending right now. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully this, this, um, this framework will help you with that. And inside the Academy, I actually have an entire training on how to write a satisfying ending. Uh, Linda says it puts a lot of strain on your creative side to do all the heavy lifting. I ran too short for years. First time I used this, I hit 50 K good for you. Good for you. And yes, I have found that too. Um, a lot of times when we, when we think we're blocked, I talk about that, you know, not being able to get from A to B, that sort of thing, or maybe not being able to figure out the ending. It's because we need these to be filled in and we just don't know what we don't know. And so we just kind of flounder and go, Oh, what should happen? What should happen? But if you know that in between this scene and that scene, there should be an escalation, something should happen. Maybe one of the things that I, you know, suggest in the framework 
it becomes easier to think of what that would be for your story, right? It's not going to be what it would be for Star Wars or for Lord of the Rings or for Pride and Prejudice, right? It's going to be what it would be for your story. And pretty soon you just have ideas, you know, coming out of your ears and you've got so many things. And then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I use these frameworks all the time in great detail and I do not write short stories ever. <laughs> you can ask my, um, my, my uh, critique group that I'm with. I, I always write long stories. I'm very long-winded. Um, but it's because I fill out these plot points in great detail and I want it to be a very detailed, very involved story, very rich, lots of depth. And so, you know, that's just going to take more words. But I've never had readers complain that my stories are too long. They love them because they're so de deep and they're so rich. Okay. So that's definitely. It uh, shows me what I've forgotten. Oh, <laughs> StreamYard's just not showing your name, even though you gave it permission. Ah, well, you know, it's a computer. We'll just call it a glitch. It's all good. Okay. So it looks like you guys are getting some ideas based on this. That is good. Let's go ahead and um, just sort of recap the nine plot points real fast. So we've got the world before, the intro, the call to adventure or call to action. And the major difference between them is that the intro usually doesn't um, result in uh, action on the character's part, but the call to action does or the call to adventure does. And those can be understand some of in some stories, just depending on how your story is, you might get two or three of these points in succession really, really fast. They might all come in the same scene or the same paragraph. But on the other hand, you could have four or five chapters between each one. It's just going to depend on your story. So don't um, think that you have to adhere to any particular length with these or they don't have to be evenly spaced out. No, no. As long as they're there, you'll be okay. Um, okay, then there's the first escalation. Oh, <laughs> and do you notice that there's actually 10 plot points instead of nine? So I used to not do the number four escalation. I would do the call to adventure slash escalation. So they were kind of the same thing. But as I've gone through, I've realized that it's actually better to separate them. So I need to call them the 10 essential plot points, but <laughs> there's a lot of things online I'd have to change. And so <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Anyway, nine or 10, whichever works, however you want to work it. Um, then there's the midpoint. This is where the character goes from inaction to action. Another escalation, which should be worse because you're about three quarters of the way through at this point. Then you've got the climax where they face off with their main adversary in the stormer story. They should have a moment of uber despair where they think they're not going to succeed. And then the aha, which is when they realize how they will succeed. And then, of course, the resolution. OK, so homework for today. Um, write out the nine essential plot points for your current work in progress or you know, maybe one that you're thinking about writing or whichever one you want. And I want you to comment them below. I know that's going to be kind of a long comment, but just do like one line for each of the plot points. And then I just want you to read through other people's and comment on them. And you guys reading plot points for other stories, it will always give you ideas for your story. And I don't mean in the sense of, you know, ripping off someone's plot point, but it just gets your creative juices flowing and gives, you know, sparks inspiration for your story. Um, I, I do this all the time with, with clients and with my critique group. Trust me, it works. And then we're going to do the same thing again tomorrow. Um, we'll just randomly pick someone who did the homework and put in their nine plot points to win a $25 gift card. Um, but you got to actually do the homework and comment your plot points on this thread. Okay. Um, let's see. And then I think the last thing we have is the PDF. Now, yesterday, I'm, I let me apologize for yesterday. People were telling me that it wasn't letting them in to get the PDF. And so many people were telling me that I was like, okay, there's something wrong. I have like something that's not checked or something. And I, I figured out what it was. I had it on restricted instead of public. So I made sure that this one is on public. If Google doesn't screw me over and switch it back or something, you should be able to get it without a problem. So it's bit.ly forward slash nine plot points. And the funny thing is this, um, 
this particular PDF, it actually doesn't use Star Wars. It uses Lord of the Rings. So you'll have, I, I mean, I know they're both fantasy, so I apologize for those who don't write fantasy, but you'll have two different sets of plot points. Um, you can come back and watch this video to get Star Wars ones, and then you'll have the Lord of the Rings ones just to give you more stories and how they handle these plot points. Okay. Um, let's see. Any last minute questions or concerns? Anything you want to talk about? I'll give you a second to put them in the chat. But thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope this helps you see story structure a little bit more clearly and gives you a picture of how to write a truly amazing story that your readers will connect with seamlessly. Um, remember the bulk of your marketing should come from inside your story. Of course, there's outside things. Of course, there's email. Of course, there's paid ads and newsletters. And, and we're going to talk more about the, you know, what comes after the story is written tomorrow. That's what we're going to focus on. Um, but Again, this this really needs to be your foundation. It needs to be your bedrock. If you don't write a great story, you have nowhere to go. You can throw all the money you want at paid ads, and it's not going to really do you much good. Um, so keep that in mind. And if you get this right, then you – let's put it this way. If you don't get this right – you're never probably going to be very successful as an author. Not to say that you won't have some success, but most of us want to be living off our royalties. If you cannot figure out how to write a story that the readers connect with deeply, you're never going to reach that point. Once you do reach that point, that's of course not the end of it. You have to learn other stuff too, but you've given yourself the ability to get there as long as you get the story part right. And then the rest can be learned and you can go along and, and figure it out. But learning all the rest is not going to do you any good if you don't get this part right. Okay. So I hope that's coming across to you clearly. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's see. Did we have any other, okay. People are getting the PDF. Good. I'm glad it's working for you. <laughs> um, what is the name of my Academy? You, you don't see it on the website because I haven't really launched it yet. The doors are not open. I'm going to talk more about it tomorrow and I'll give you more of an idea of what it is, but it is called the fiction author business Academy. And, um, <laughs> okay, funny story. So I decided to name it Academy instead of school. Originally, I was going to call it Fiction Author Business School. That's a little bit less of a mouthful. But then it gets um, abbreviated F-A-B-S, which just sounds like a slew of four-letter swear words. So <laughs> I decided not to call it that. I decided to call it Fiction Author Business Academy, and it's uh, I often abbreviate it FABA, F-A-B-A. So anyway, just give me one more day and I will tell you more about that tomorrow. I promise. And we'll talk more about post-marketing once your book is finished and published tomorrow. Okay. So everyone go do their homework and um, have a wonderful day of writing. Have fun going through your plot points. I hope that it's really, really fun for you guys. This should be fun. If you're not having a blast mapping out your story with these plot points, then you know, I don't, I don't know that you're in the right profession because this should be super, super fun. It should get your creative juices flowing and just, you know, have a ball with it. Okay. I will go through and comment on your plot points too. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Okay. Thanks so much for being here. Have fun. Bye.